Talking with Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mandel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? It's going good. What you got for me this week? So I have a little bit of a personal story to tell you. It's kind of got a tech spin in it, but I thought I actually haven't shared this with you or really anyone out in the wild yet. And I thought it would be something, I don't know, maybe interesting. I don't know. We'll see what you think. So um, back in the day when I was maybe two or three years old, my mom left my biological dad and uh, the, the guy that I is my current dad, um, he's been my dad my whole life, Jerry, right? Uh, <laughs> and um, my mom met him when I was maybe three and a half, four, and he adopted me around that age and they got married. And, you know, um, the, my brother, uh, Brian, my brother uh, is actually my, I guess, half brother, right? Because he's with my we don't have to share the same biological dad. We share the same biological mother, right? Uh, about a year ago, my mom learned that my biological father died. Um, never knew him. Don't care. You know, don't know at all, right? Um, maybe there was a time uh, 15 years ago that I was mildly curious from a um, health standpoint. Like, geez, I wonder, I don't know anything about my, my biological side, and that could be an indicator, uh, you know. So... Fast forward to now, um, about, I guess, six months ago, maybe maybe longer, um, my wife got me 23andMe. Have you heard of 23andMe? Have you ever done it? I've done it, yes. You've done it, okay. So those that don't know, it's one of those DNA kits where you spit into a tube and you send it off, and then it gives you this... um, the, your history, right? And it also ties it to other people that have done it, and it can tie you to other people that have d- who are in your lineage, right? Um, so I did it and actually sent it off like pre-COVID maybe or just when that was starting and kind of got lost, forgot that I even did it. And there was some sort of registration goof up or weirdness that happened with it. Long story short, Melissa tracked it down and my wife tracked it down and was like, whatever happened with that? And we figured out there was just some, like I got an email that I never confirmed, you know, and I just had to confirm it and they processed everything. You're not going to believe it. But my father, um, my biological father, uh, had another child with another woman. So when I come, when I, in 23andMe, it comes up that I actually have another stepbrother that pops up on my, you know, lineage. It's like, wait, what? Um, so there's this guy that lives in the world. His name's uh, Jesse and Jesse's 40 years old and he's my brother. I have a brother out there somewhere, uh, in the Connecticut area. <laughs> that is my biological brother that I've never met a uh, brother from another mother, as people would say. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Well, now what well, I have so many questions. So like how are, are you curious? Do you want to meet this person? Like are like what's what's the next step? Yeah, so um I didn't reach out to him at first. Uh he reached out to me and you know of course what he did is when I got his name, you know, Instagram, I did all the web stalking that people do, you know. I looked him up on Instagram, looked him up on and uh he seems like this great guy who like loves basketball and you know when you look through his his Instagram account, he um he also didn't really know his father. So we, again, we have something like that in common. Um, and so we just hooked up on 23andMe, at, like a friend request sort of thing. And he's like, what? I have a brother? I have an older brother? And I was like, what? I have a younger brother? And so we we did text messaging. And we actually, um, 
have not talked yet face to face, meaning like you and I face to face, you know, uh, video conferencing. We've just been exchanging emails about each other and what his life has been like, what mine is, things we like and things like that. So, so that's where we are with, with that, you know, so we have had contact. I feel like the next step might be then to have some sort of video conference, uh, you know, just say, Hey, what's going on? You know? Oh, this is not the story I was expecting, but I'm really happy that you shared. Um, and I, you know what it reminds me of is I, I, I can't remember what episode it was. I want to say it was Jason Lembeck, which was a long time ago, almost two years ago. Um, but he talked about he has a son with like a very low incidence, um, I think genetic thing going on. And um, it's so cool that technology now is able to bring together, um, you know, families that are going through very similar things that are so rare, right? It's like never before in history were we able to connect so easily with people who, you know, are just a small subset of the population that have a similar experience to us. And I feel like that's what's so cool about how interconnected we are through technology. Um, not only is it able, are we able to, you know, figure these things out, right, through 23andMe, from the genetic side, um, also just through like, you know, shared Facebook groups where people can access them from all over the world. Um, but then we're also able to meet these people, not necessarily face to face, but hop on a zoom call and say hello. Um, it's just so cool that we're able to be so connected with one another. That's exactly why I was thinking of talking about it here on the podcast, because this is talking with tech, right? And this is a kind of a tech spin on this is that, is that, is that in previous generations, we would not have been able to do this or not done it easily. You know, it would have taken monumental work trying to track down and I'd have to want it really badly, right? Like I'd have to want to go and find out, did my father have any other children and who my uncles might be and, and that whole lineage, you know, and I'm certainly people do that. And that is a great hobby for people who are really passionate about it, but it's so much easier now with the technology. I mean, I literally spit into a tube and send it off in the, in the, in the mail, you know, like that's all it took, um, to, to learn that I have a sibling someplace. You know, and then, like you said, if I want to, I have tons of options of how to communicate with him, you know, and if he wants to, there's, uh, if we don't feel comfortable doing video chat, we could always do audio. We could do Voxer and exchange audio back and forth. You know, we can have asynchronous, uh, conversations like you and I do with Marco Polo, right? Um, or we can just continue to email and send, you know, messages and check up on each other through social media and like, hey, what's what's going on, on his on his Instagram, you know? Okay, you know. So there's all sorts of options for people to feel comfortable. And um, I think back to um, Alyssa Hillary Zisk, and one of the takeaways from those episodes was that. These are all sort of forms, everything I just mentioned there are forms of AAC, right? They're forms of way of, of communicating, not necessarily um, just with verbal speech, you know what I mean? Having that narrow view of what what, um, what communication is, you know? Uh, all these ways are to communicate as well. And what if that is how we think of AAC and moving f- in the future? Chris, I have a serious question for you. Okay. Does your stepbrother know that he is related to an assistive technology celebrity? <laughs> Does he know that? Uh, I let him know that I've written a couple books and that uh, I do this podcast and that I've done podcasts in the in the past. So he is aware of that. You know, we've we've chatted about that kind of stuff. That this is how I spend my time. You know, 
Um, I, I feel I feel like it's, he's just one Google search away from like finding out. <laughs> well, that's what I told him. I was like, you, you know, because when you're meeting somebody for the first time like this and it's family, there's always that nervous like, well, are they a jerk? You know what I mean? Are they totally. uh, are they the person that is like going to come after you financially or something? You know, there could be some weirdness on his end thinking that. And so I was like, I just want you to know, like you, if you wanted to, you could probably track down everything you ever wanted to know about me. <laughs> like there's hours of audio of me out on the internet, video on me on the internet. Um, there's, there's no shortage of finding out who I am and what I stand for, you know, if you want to know who I am. So do you think like, I don't have some sort of big secret skeleton in my closet that, uh, that like, oh, you know, it's like, it's all out there. I've always put myself out there on the internet. So I know, I know, which is like same, same with me. Like, I feel like people who meet me, they just put my name into Google and have pages and pages worth of webinars and talking with tech episodes and my website and pictures of me and, you know, all of these things. And it's interesting. Um, I feel like most of the time it's really great because it's like, like you said, like we put ourselves out there and that's something that we've chosen to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really great in a lot of ways because what we're doing is we're sharing really important information, things that we're passionate about, um, passionate about helping people. Um, sometimes it's a little scary though, cause you're like, wow, like really all my stuff is out there. Um, I've had some like tricky situations with people who were admirers of my work, um, that took it to like a level that I was not comfortable with. Um, so there's definitely like that element, which is a little tricky. Um, it's like, that's like the dark side of being so like connected and having everybody know, you know, all the things that you do. Um, but generally speaking, it's been a really great thing to, you know, just showcase and share and. And, um, yeah, it's like really funny when, when somebody like, I don't know, like connects with me, it's like you, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, trying to find a lot of information about me online. Well, and speaking of that, speaking of connecting with people you don't know, that's sort of what this interview is about today, because, well, I guess it's not even an interview. It's a, a live recording of one of our presentations that we did, but it's not presentation like you and I talking to a group. It was a talking with tech live presentation in New Jersey. Super excited. We've already talked about this on the podcast because I feel like the day after we did the Talking With Tech Live, I was so jazzed about how great it was that we just like talked about it on the podcast. Um, but it's such a great way to learn. And I'm really excited. We have a few more coming up, Chris, um, one of which I'm really excited to share with our listeners because it's for our Patreon. So what's the date, Chris? It is December 9th. December 9th is when we're doing that event. What time is that? 7.30 Eastern time. Okay. So that means it's 4.30 if you're on the, the, the West Coast like me. So if you're a part of our Patreon, you're going to be able to access that event. And we're super excited to share the one we did with New Jersey. It's going to be um, at least, I shouldn't talk about how many it's going to be. Like, I don't know. How many episodes is it going to be? We're not sure yet. <laughs> We're super excited to share about uh, share this one we did in New Jersey, but this is something that I feel like every single time we do it, it's going to be a brand new you know group of of questions and solutions, and that's essentially what this is: is we do a live event where we you know kind of create this conversation around how do we solve some of the biggest challenges that we're having in our practice. Um, so people are able to come on mic, as you'll hear in this um, in this interview, and talk about solutions to some of these questions that are popping up. Um, and it's all kind of in real time, brainstorming and troubleshooting. 
Yeah, I don't know if my brother's going to be in it. I don't think he's going to be able to hear it because I don't know that he's a Patreon supporter. But if you want to participate in this Talking With Tech Live uh, event that's coming up on December 9th, if you want to be part of this event, go over to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech and sign up. And that'll allow you to be, uh, well, that's where you'll find not just this, a link to this particular uh, presentation, this, this Talking With Tech Live event, but so much other back content that we've put there, bonus materials, uh, therapy resources, um, uh, uh, bonus interviews that we've done that have not come out on the podcast. Uh, so much more content there. I actually, Chris, speaking of our Patreon, I just booked out some content basically till the end of the year. I'm going to be sharing some of my resources for free. Um, there's tons of stuff in there and Patreon is a way to support this podcast. So if you're an listener, you listen every week, you love it. Um, We have a team of people that make this podcast possible. And that money goes towards helping support our team. um, Because without that, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So we would love for you to join our Patreon. uh, As Chris mentioned, patreon.com backslash talking with tech. There's, there's almost, it's almost been a year, Chris, since we have the Patreon. So we have almost a year's worth of content in there. We try to post at least once a week, um, just some little tidbit, uh, or a therapy idea. I feel like I'm notorious for going in there actually just yesterday. Um, I put in, a, a resource for the book room on the broom. Have you heard of this book, Chris? No, but I did go and take a peek into the Patreon to see what you bought and you did a whole Ed puzzle thing. Uh huh. So I'm super excited. We just uh, released on my website these literacy bundles. So it's basically like a language lesson. So we took some of like the most popular books, like Dragon Loves Dragons Love Tacos and Room on the Broom, and basically what you get is it's kind of like a language lesson. So it's a one sheet that goes over core words that are in the book. It goes over fringe vocabulary, verbs, um, describing words. It breaks down all the different vocabulary that you can find. Um, And then we have some predictive chart writing included in those resources. But what I'm really most excited about is that for every book, we've created an ed puzzle that goes in and pauses at strategic times so that you're able to model the core words that are in that book. Um, So it's really great to share um, with families that you're working with. This is a strategy that I use all the time in my practice for at-home practice with the device, just sending home one of these ed puzzles. Um, So anyway, I I was looking at that resource and I was like ah room on the room is so great for Halloween and like wouldn't this be great to give to our Patreon members so um, I just went in and gave them an extra an extra bonus this week because I felt like it was timely and relevant because Halloween is coming up so I did too, Rachel. I went in and put a little Halloween uh, thing in there because at the time of this recording, it's pre-Halloween, but when this comes out, it'll be post-Halloween. But if you're in the Patreon, you can get these materials anytime you want. You have access to all of them. I put a story that um, Melissa and I wrote called A Glummy Gloomy Halloween about uh, goblins, and we actually made the book in a Tar Heel reader so you, with uh, all sorts of um, cool graphics and like cartoon images. It it really pops off like an actual uh, children's book. You know what I mean? It's not like book images from Flickr. You know what I mean? They're, we created them using a cartoon generator. And so, yeah, so there's access to that. I mean, you can find that out in the wild, but that's it makes it a lot easier if you can go find it. And it's all in one place over there on patreon.com slash talking with tech. Amazing. I can't wait to check that out. Look at us like secretly putting things on the Patreon without the other one knowing. All right. So today, what we said, we already mentioned we're going to do um, the first part of our Talking With Tech live event that happened in New Jersey. Um, So without further ado, shall we listen, Rachel? Let's do this thing. 
Here at Talking With Tech, we're excited to partner with Smiles for Speech. This organization provides children with special needs living in impoverished communities the intervention and resources needed to help children reach their full potential. Smiles for Speech aims to provide long-term sustainable solutions for children worldwide. Their mission is to distribute educational materials, provide training to teachers and families without access to appropriate intervention, and to create global awareness on the importance of therapeutic services to support children in need. With your help, Smiles for Speech will continue to broaden their reach in assisting children living in disadvantaged communities gain access to the therapy services and education they need to thrive. To support this organization, go to smilesforspeech.org to learn more about this organization and to offer your support. That's smilesforspeech.org. Just a little bit of science, you guys, and then we're going to do a lot of brainstorming and collaborating, which I'm really excited about. You're going to want to get the slide deck because we do have links in there to help you participate. So does everyone see my screen? I'm going full screen here. Does everyone have that yes. up? Yes. So just so everyone knows, I have a two screen, I have at least have a two screen experience. I don't know what yours looks like, Rachel, where I have the slide deck on one screen and then the chat on the other. So when you see me kind of looking up into space, it's actually reading your chat and looking at your faces where the slide deck is actually right here. So this is your moment where you want to grab the URL, you know, um, I think Zoom sort of blocks it so you can't put, you have to copy and paste, you can't click because there's too many people like posting things that they shouldn't be. Um, so you copy and paste it into your, um, it, Ryan, I think it is TWT live. It is, yeah. Um, but thank you for, for, for sharing that. If you copy and paste that in, Rachel, can you do that? You I, I got that? it. I'm on it. Okay. I, I got the chat, Chris, because okay. I can do that. <laughs> and it is case sensitive, just so you guys know, for the bitlies. All right, so I feel like we're in a good spot here, Rachel, that people have the slide deck. Like yes. Rachel said, there's only a couple slides, and then we're going to get into this, um, what the whole, the, the crux of this about is, which is recording a live episode of our podcast, so, and taking, like, question and answers and having a robust discussion with everybody. Um, so, real quick, my name is Chris Bouguet, and... Um, I am an assistive technology specialist. That's my actual job title, but I like to think of myself as an inclusive design facilitator. I work in Northern Virginia in a public school district, and I do a bunch of stuff outside of that. I help develop the ATML to go app. I've done a podcast for years called the AT Tips Cast. I'm currently doing a podcast with Rachel and our crack team of um, producer and audio engineer called Talking With Tech. And then we uh, have written a, a couple books. The most recent book is The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. Um, and I do tons of presentations like this, so. He sure um, does. <laughs> he does more presentations than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> I did one yesterday and I'm doing one later. Yesterday was in Michigan and today, uh, later on this afternoon is in North Carolina. So I love it, it's super fun. Also, um, so there's, there's more of my disclosures, but post a little picture. I don't, I've got my midlife crisis hairdo going on here. And I thought I would look like Matt, uh, Matthew McConaughey when I grew my hair out long with this kind of curl in the back. 
but I think more I look like Count Olaf from uh, <laughs> from Lindy Snicket. So that's 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 what that's what's going on here with my my long mane. Covid <laughs> hair over there in Virginia. <laughs> I haven't cut it since since March. So <laughs> grand experiment. I'm Rachel Madel. Um, I have uh, a private practice in Los Angeles, so I'm on the West Coast right now. I had to wake up real early, but I'm excited to be here. Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements as well as host the podcast with Chris. Um, I specialize in AAC. Um, I do a lot of work with technology um, with students with autism specifically. Um, here are all of my social media handles. Feel free to send me an email. Um, I have a lot of resources that are for free uh, on my website. And um, I do a lot of coaching and all things related to technology and specifically AAC I have a passion for. And it looks like somebody went into our slide deck and changed some photos around for me. Uh, as you can see, there's a little cute chipmunk. And the reason that Chris put that in there is because I actually just had dental surgery last week. And I, you can't really tell unless you know my face very well, but it's, it, it, looks, it looks a little different than it normally does. So bear with me. I'm actually feeling okay now. I woke up early, took some, took some ibuprofen, had drinking coffee, um, but that is a cute little chipmunk I see uh, in place of my picture. <laughs> yeah, last minute change this morning. Um, Okay, so Rachel, tell us about the podcast. And if you listen to the podcast, will you put that in the chat? We're curious who has heard of it before and who has never heard of it. Yeah, so I'm really excited actually. So this is our, this is our first Talking With Tech Live, but we have a, a bunch of them booked this fall. Um, the podcast is just a way, oh, we see lots of love for the podcast. We're really excited to hear that. Um, it's a weekly discussion about all things AAC. Um, you, sometimes we have other interviews that go into different areas related to education and technology. Um, but we, we have all of the latest researchers on, we have all of the, the big thought leaders in AAC, um, but we feel really strongly about providing really practical strategies for our listeners to get and take with them and use in their practice the next day. I am a practitioner. I, I work with kids in my practice and I'm constantly searching for strategies and tools and fun things to engage our students. Um, so if there's a lot of that in the beginning, Chris and I do a little banter back and forth where we talk about AAC, our lives, um, lots of different things. And then we typically have an interview where we interview someone who's doing really cool work in our field. Um, so definitely looks like a lot of listeners and fans of this podcast. So we're really excited to be here with you guys and have this, this collaborative experience because a lot of times it's Chris and I talking to like, it feels like no one. <laughs> so when we have the opportunity to talk with our listeners and collaborate and brainstorm and troubleshoot like we're going to do today, it's really exciting. And, and Rachel, you said the words, you know, really cool people that are doing cool stuff. And in fact, I just looking at some of the names here that are participating, Catherine Fredericks has been on the podcast. She's got an episode. We've got um, Darla Ashton, who has mentioned, and you see her in the comments here, um, also has been on the podcast. Uh, Lauren Bonnet, who just put in the, uh, she, she doesn't know this, but her, the episode that she participated in is coming Stunning. out like in the next week or two. Um, so. So yes, uh, and now you all be on the podcast. In fact, that's what we want you to, to understand is that um, you're all gonna be superstars because <laughs> we are recording this. You see it recording and then, <laughs> yeah, Lindsay, 
It's great. Um, so, so just know that too. So, you know, you, you don't want to come out if you're going to jump on mic and going to say something, you know, maybe don't bash your school district or something, because this is going to come out, you know, in a, in a podcast form that people will be listening to. The video won't necessarily be shared. Um, we might, uh, we, we reserve the right to do that, but it, definitely the audio will be shared. So cool. Hopefully it's cool. All right, some quick uh, content to get into. Um, one of the things that uh, Rachel and I talk about is um, how we decide when we hear about kind of new technologies, new strategies, new things that are happening out in the field of AAC, how do we know those might be valid and worth our time to be spending more time looking at and telling other people about? And what stuff that we don't necessarily think we should be spending as much time on? And there are three things that ASHA uses, the American Speech and Hearing Association's three criteria. And in fact, if you were to click on that link down there called evidence-based practice, they had this nice little triangle graphic that says these are the three things that, that we as the American Speech and Hearing Association say um, is what makes something a valid evidence-based practice. And so those three things are, is the research supporting it? Um, two, are there professionals out there do we all kind of agree that this is a good strategy, or at least is there other professionals that agree that it's a good strategy? Maybe if not everyone agrees, there are certain professionals that do. And lots of times I've found this is where a lot of people stop. They just look at the research and they just look at what their friends are telling them to do, their colleagues, like all of us on this call together. Um, but there's a third component that is, is super important and is equally as important as these other three. And maybe I might make the argument even more important. Uh, the, the, the graphic represents it as a triangle, like all three sections are equal, but, but maybe they're not. Maybe this is even more important. And that is, what are people who actually use AAC telling us that works for them, you know? Hey, thank you, clinicians, for using this this technique with me, this um, this technology with me, this strategy with me, this practice with me, because it actually helped me. Um, so it, it's got to be all three of those things in in conjunction, um, or we can end up getting um, going down a path that might not necessarily actually benefit the people that we're working with. You know, so cool. And it's worth noting that we have tons of AAC users on the podcast. So if you're a new listener, I would definitely recommend going back and listening. We have Chris Klein, Lance McLemore, Hannah Foley. Who else am I forgetting, Chris? We have a lot of AAC users who've been on. Um, Linda, yeah. Lydia Dolly is actually going to come on. Um, who were who you co-presenting with yesterday, Chris? Glenda. Glenda Thompson. Um, Glenda Thompson, so hopefully. We haven't asked her yet, but we hope that she says yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I kind of like called her out right in the middle of the presentation <laughs> yesterday to ask her if she would do it. So we'll, we'll get her, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so lots of AAC users because well, it's sort of sad there is not enough out there to try and learn from, right? And it's not their responsibility necessarily to, um, to teach us about it. So we really appreciate when they do come on the podcast and gives people an opportunity. I mean, real quick in the chat, tell us how many... Um, AAC, how many proficient AAC users do you know um, in your in your practice, you know, or that you've met, you know? Is it one, two, three, over 10, 20? Put it in the chat. What, uh, how many do you actually know? Yeah, Andrea, not enough, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's why we're on a hunt. Yeah, Shannon says zero, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the numbers are small, and that's why we're on a hunt to find them. 
Um, and, and I feel really lucky, Chris, that we're able to like have a platform where we're able to invite AAC users on and other people will recommend other AAC users. But if I didn't have that, then I would be putting like zero in the chat as well. So um, it's definitely awesome to listen to those interviews um, just to get that perspective. Wow. Darla, Darla knows 10 to 20. Great. That's awesome. Um, okay, let's just go over the signs that a child needs AAC because believe it or not, like I'm shocked still at like some of the things that I hear out in our field. Um, I work uh, alongside of sometimes school districts and um, I think there's still a lot of misinformation. So signs a child needs AAC, of course, if they're not able to speak or, or they have minimal language, um, their speech is hard to understand. Of course, that's something that we kind of like intuitively know. Um, the last two are some that I'm seeing as, you know, not really being addressed necessarily. Um, so vocabulary less than 50 words. That is something where, you know, oftentimes I'll go into a classroom where I'll meet a student and teachers will say, well, they have like words, they have words. And I'm like, well, you know, how many words? Because <laughs> we know that AAC can be used as a tool to teach language. Um, and so vocabulary of less than 50 words is a huge one for me. Um, I work with a lot of students with autism, so it's very common that I meet students with very minimal vocabularies. And also, number four, a high level of scripted phrases. So um, I have lots of students, and I'm sure you guys know the students that have lots of scripts that go with routines um, that they've memorized or learned. So they have verbal speech, but they're stuck in those scripts. Um, so we can use uh, AAC as a way to teach the language, to teach the units, to teach the meaning behind more abstract language concepts so that children are able to have success um, with autonomous, independent, spontaneous communication, um, which is ultimately our goal. Not that children can just recite all of the scripts that they hear um, and that we teach them, but instead they have novel, unique ideas and they form language in uh, a spontaneous way um, instead of relying only on the scripts because if we only give scripts and that's all they know, that's all they'll ever show us and that's not true communication. You know, I like to say also that there's a fifth sign that someone needs AAC and that is if anyone ever even mentions the fact that they might need AAC, meaning anyone on the team of a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, a parent, the, anyone says, you know what, I'm wondering if they need AAC, then they probably need AAC because you can't do any harm by providing AAC, uh, so so why not? Why not provide it? And as I'm sure most of the people in this room know, there are no prerequisites for high-tech AAC. I can't tell you how many reports come across my desk saying that child was not able to reach a certain level of PECs or doesn't have the cognitive function, and you name it, I've heard it, um, as to reasons why a child wouldn't qualify for high-tech AAC. Um, so, you know, I really, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, Chris, but we need to stop testing and start teaching. Children who are introduced to a high-tech device for the first time don't necessarily know how to use it. It's our job to teach them. It's our job to create motivating experiences and to you know, pair with language. Um, you know, part of my problem with some of these AAC assessments is, you know, a clinician goes in, they do an assessment for a couple hours and then, you know, they've determined that, you know, a child can't benefit from high tech or doesn't know how to use high tech AAC. And we know that children learn how to use technology by actually getting the opportunity 
to learn how to use that technology. Um, so starting with the presumption that a child is capable of learning no matter what diagnosis they have um, is really important because we know that high-tech AAC is so crucial for robust language. Um, so no prerequisites. Put it in the comments if you agree. <laughs> Let's see, Ryan, Ryan's asking if there are resources, uh-oh, I'll preach. <laughs> I just told everyone to write in the comments and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, let's, um, Ryan, hold on to that question and, and do us a favor. Copy that question that you just typed in there. So it's pasted on your clipboard because in about a, two seconds, we're gonna show you where to post that question and then we'll answer it together collectively. Cool, does that work for you, Ryan? Done and done, great, thank you. Okay, so um, for the, the term is AAC, Augmentative Alternative Communication. And for years, I feel like that has painted the wrong picture because if I were to draw a picture of a goldfish on this piece of paper and I were to tap it and I say goldfish, gold, goldfish, and I'm requesting goldfish by tapping on this picture, I am technically using AAC. It's a, it's a, it's a way of, of, of communicating that I'm making this request. But what we're talking about is, and the, the reason uh, Rachel uses the word robust, is like we are talking about not communication so much anymore. Yes, communication is a part of it, but um, this, this other concept of language. We believe that students can learn language, and that means you need uh, lots of words, and you need to be not just the words, but be able to, the little parts of words, the morphemes, and be able to put those together in different ways to make sentences and to convey your, your thoughts. Which again is, is communication, but it's a much more robust way of thinking about communication. It's, it's language, we're gonna teach language. Who knows what snug is? Put it in the comments if you've heard of snug before. Um, so obviously it's on the slide, <laughs> spontaneous novel utterance generation. Uh, but this basically just means we want to give AAC users the ability to say whatever they want, whenever they want to say it. Um, so I have on here, be careful of scripts and quickfire phrases. Um, you know, those serve a role, but part of what I'm seeing when I'm, you know, working with new students is maybe they have a device, but they have a lot of prescripted phrases. Um, you know, they have the I want button, and then they have let's play button. And, you know, we're kind of teaching language in, in chunked phrases. Um, so we need to be careful of that because if we're continuing, you know, the scripts just on an AAC system, um, we're not truly teaching the fundamental units of language. Um, and so, you know, using those quickfire phrases is important, especially if it's something that's social or needs to happen quickly. We have the benefit of these high-tech devices where we're able to program um, phrases into them. Um, but being careful, because we need to teach the foundational units of language, like Chris mentioned. Uh, we need to support language, and we have to do that and make sure that students understand the units behind these phrases or sentences. Um, Chris always talks about, you always talk about the, the, um, the N in snug, Chris. You're going to talk about the N? <laughs> sure, sure. So here's an example. Um, Barbara, I see you there with your camera on. How's it going? Will you unmute yourself for a second? <laughs> Calling her out. <laughs> yeah, well. Okay, I'm here. Hey, Barbara, so we haven't met before, have we? 
Um, I, well, I've seen you present, but we haven't officially met. No. Haven't met. Okay, so Barbara, you and I have not, you know, conspired before this session to, for me to say, hey, I'm going to call you out and bring you onto the camp. This is all totally spontaneous, right? Yes. yes. All right, so, so Barbara, will you just say a sentence off the top of your head? Whatever, whatever pops in your head. I want more coffee. I want more coffee. So now we're going to do too. this test, Barbara. We're going we're gonna to run the test. And we're going to see if that is spontaneous novel utterance generation. So, okay. it, so was it spontaneous? Sure was, right? You all saw that I did not, you know, I picked Barbara out because she just happened to, to see, I see her, her on the screen. Um, Barbara, is there someone behind yes. you controlling you like, like, a, like a video game, you know? Uh, is there someone behind you with their hand grabbing your head like a puppet? Can you turn around and see? No, you're, you're you, Barbara, right? You're your own person, right? Yep. So I'm going to think, Barbara, you uttered it. You generated it. It came out of your brain. Now, here's the question. Is it novel, right? And so what was your sentence again? I want more coffee. I want more coffee. And so the question is, have we ever heard that sentence before? Has anyone ever said that sentence before? Barbara, have you ever said that sentence before? Lots of times. Lots of times, <laughs> right? So it, in, for, in some cases, it might be novel for a student who may have, who, or a student who's never put that sentence together before. But in the world, that is a sentence that has been uttered before. Um, so how could we make it novel? Well, what if we said, um, I want more coffee that has so much sugar in it, it'll make me jump over to Jupiter and come back uh, with giant stars in my eyes. Now, chances are, you've, ne you've heard all of those words before, but never put in that order. It is completely novel. In fact, we made history right here on this podcast <laughs> in this session because we've never put those words in that order before. And so that, to me, is what's novel. And if I have that ability, and Barbara, if you have that ability, and if everyone else has that ability, then why wouldn't we think that with the right tools, with enough time, with the right instruction, students could have that ability as well. And so mm -hmm. that's sort of the end game here is to be able to generate whatever you want to to whoever you want to. Sound good, everybody? Sounds good to me. I, I want more coffee too, Barbara. <laughs> it's your coffee that's making me, I'm watching you drink it. It's I'm like chugging it over here. <laughs> I'm like, wake up. <laughs> All right. So core words, put in the chat if you've heard of core words. We, we try to just make sure we're starting from a foundation here because believe it or not, like <laughs> we meet people all the time during presentations who have never heard of these concepts. So I know we have a lot of veterans in the room. It looks like um, core words make up 80% of what you or I say. They include lots of different parts of speech. And the important thing is it's beyond nouns. Um, again, I work with a lot of students with autism. They have a ton of nouns, and you actually can go to the next slide, Chris, because I can talk about fringe quickly, and then we can get going, because it sounds like um, a lot of people have heard of core words before. Um, fringe, fringe are very specific. These are actually examples of all of my kids' favorite things throughout the years. Um, some of them make sense, like a swing. Other ones, like pipe cleaners, make sense to that kid. Um, but a lot of the students that I work with, they are you know, they have huge noun vocabularies. They can tell me what every little, you know, specific noun is, but they don't have a lot of core words. They're not able to create sentences because we need core words to, in order to create sentences, um, we can't make sentences with only nouns. Um, so core word vocabulary is really important. Um, put in the chat if you know the optimal ratio for teaching core and fringe. 
or at least what Chris and I consider as the optimal ratio <laughs> for teaching core and fringe. Okay, 80-20, yeah, exactly. I'm actually excited that people, people are throwing that in the chat, Chris. Me too, me too, cool. All right, something else we wanna talk about really quickly is that you have to keep the cells in the same spot. You, uh, the more you move them around, the more difficult it is for the AEC user to find them again and understand the meaning and, and use this phenomenon of motor planning that eventually becomes motor memory. So keep the buttons in the same spot, keep the words in the same spot, um, don't move them around. Can, and, um, a strategy we can use to teach communication and teach language is for us to use the, the AAC um, that's called aided language stimulation. And the way we would do that is by modeling. So one of the very first strategies we use with a new AAC user is for them to see us using the, the tool. Here's my AAC device, see us using the tool. Just saying, hey, I sit, I drink, uh, I go, uh, I want more. Cue the video, Chris. Yeah, no kidding. Let's, let's roll with the coffee. <laughs> and kind of piggybacking off of that, um, we model oftentimes in the beginning stages, and I love this phrase, inspire, don't require. Throw it in the chat if you've heard me say this before. I'm sure you have or if you've seen it online. Um, and basically what this means is we don't have to require language from students, especially in the initial stages. If we do like what Chris says and we model and we invite children to communicate with us, um, sometimes it takes, it takes a second, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the AAC assessment, um, a traditional AAC assessment where we just put something in front of a child and then we just hope you know, that the goldfish crackers or whatever we're using that's motivating um, is enough to get them to start pushing buttons on the device. Um, we don't have to require language from kids. It's our job as clinicians and teachers and parents and all of the adults surrounding a child to find things that are so motivating and so exciting that kids are you know, jumping out of their seat to communicate with us. Um, and sometimes this takes a second, especially with, with children with autism who have very limited interests. Um, it took me a long time to like get to this, the fact that this one student I was working with loved pipe cleaners. And I was like, pipe cleaners, it's pipe cleaners. That's what we can use. Um, but it, it's our job as adults. Um, oftentimes I, I see that we're kind of putting the onus on the child. Like, well, they're just not motivated by anything. They just like, don't want to do it. They're just like not into communicating. Well, if we find something that's really exciting for them, we step into their world, then they, they're more likely to communicate with us. Um, you can go to the next slide, Chris, because let's talk about what inspires communication and what doesn't. So we all talk and have a motivation to talk with each other because we want to communicate something. And it's typically not things that are boring and everyday things that are just ordinary and not remarkable. And so what I, what I encourage practitioners and teachers and parents to do is to think about things that are weird or, you know, interesting or unusual or surprising, um, gross, especially if you're working with young little boys, like they love things that are disgusting. Um, Side note, I love this new game. It's called Gassy Gary. It's by the, uh, I think it's her, her handle is like the SLT. It's this game where you basically like feed this guy, Gary, and he like you hit a fart button and eventually he farts. And if he farts on your turn, then like you like lose essentially. So 
this is all to say that we need to start thinking about things that are really novel and interesting for kids. That's how we inspire communication. It's not by just like having kids look at flashcards that are super boring and, you know, expecting them to want to communicate about them because we wouldn't communicate about those things. We wouldn't say like, look, the car is driving. Like we would never say that. So we need to start thinking through the lens of what is really going to motivate and inspire this child to communicate. All right. Question time. So this is the slide where you can submit questions. And the way this is going to work from now until the end, and by the way, we, we knew that this would take some time. So we um, asked uh, Mike and Naomi to, um, to give us two sessions, right? So this is two sessions back to back uh, so that we have more time. This, this doesn't necessarily end at 1045 if you're thinking. I mean, you can jet out if you need to. Like I said, we're recording it. But um, so if you click on this link or scan that QR code, it should take you to a Google form. We did test this one, so this should work. Everybody, put, is it I'll working? Put it in, I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. Well, actually, it looks like I probably have to put the, the link so that the people who can't use Bitly's. I'm on it, guys. Bit.ly.twtlive. Oh, thanks, Kelly. Kelly put it in there. She got it, Rachel. Kelly, you're faster than me. <laughs> Thank you. If you don't know what you don't know, don't worry about it because we've got plenty of questions to discuss. But these next three slides give you some questions that you could be looking at. But I think we just jump into the, to, to the questions, Rachel. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, ready. One last thing is if you look at the second to the last slide, you all have access to this, uh, to the results as well. So this response slide here, if you click on it, um, it will take you to not just the Google form, right? It takes you to the Google sheet that is the results of the Google form. And what we've done here is that we, if we've done it right, knock on wood, um, we've locked the first three columns so that um, you can't edit them. Uh, at least that's how it should work. But you can edit and you can contribute to stuff anything over here on the right. So the solutions column, E, F, G, you can scroll anywhere. Basically, you see someone right now, uh, the anonymous frog is in, uh, in this D3 or 3D, right? So don't click there. But if you click over to here, you can, the, you know, the next column over, feel free to write into a cell that, and, and answer these questions for people that are, that are having, um, you know, that having these questions. So. And, and if you, if you don't want to turn your microphone on, that's totally fine. We're going to be checking the chat for things. Um, and again, like Chris said, you can go over to the spreadsheet and, and fill in some answers. Um, so it's kind of be a hybrid of us chatting it out, but also filling in the, the spreadsheet. Um, and of course, like monitoring the chat to see what's, what's going on in there. All right. Are you ready for question number one, Rachel? I'm ready. All right. So question, we actually put this out on Twitter and other social media areas. And so Sarah Gregory, who you may have heard of, she's been putting out a lot of content on YouTube recently about how to uh, do distance learning and AAC. Um, in fact, is presenting here in New Jersey uh, at this particular summit, I believe. She posted a question yesterday. So her first question is, what strategies have you found most effective with coaching on a virtual platform? Families, school teams, colleagues. So Rachel, you want to go first and then I'll give you my thoughts. And of course, anyone else, if you have something to share, feel free to put your name in the chat and say, I have something to share. And then we'll call on you and you can come on and come on the podcast. 
Um, yeah, I can share my strategies. I'm doing a lot of hybrid sessions. So, uh, you know, when we're thinking about virtual learning and practice with children who are using AAC, it's oftentimes not a direct service delivery model, meaning you don't sit the student in front of the screen and just like start working with them the way you might if you were seeing them in person. Now, some students you can do that with, um, but a lot of what I've been doing in my practice is um, a lot of coaching, which is what Sarah is mentioning. Um, I find that doing asynchronous uh, videos is really helpful. So having a parent send me a video of an interaction or two or some type of strategy that we're working on. Um, I find that sometimes parents are a little camera shy, so they don't necessarily want to be coached in real time. And I have really open conversations like here's what we here are all the different things that we could do when it comes to our session. Um, you know, what do you feel most comfortable with? Um, and if parents are a little hesitant, because oftentimes and I'm working closely with parents. Um, I'll say, just send me a few videos. Um, and that way we're able to watch the videos back together the next session. And I'm able to coach them through strategies, pause, ask reflective questions. Um, I'm able to do a lot with these videos that, you know, it, it's really groundbreaking in a lot of ways because I'm seeing firsthand my, my parents working with the students that I've seen and have been on my caseload for a long time. Um, so it's really cool to be able to see them interacting and we really have a huge opportunity to help uh, with the coaching and the, the videos I found um, have been really helpful and just being able to create a shared location for those videos so it's easy to upload um, has been a game changer just as far as like efficiency. So my response to this is first of all I second all the things that Rachel just said. Um, and in fact, I would say that uh, this is something we've been wanting to move towards anyway. And this is a big, you know, silver lining about the, the whole pandemic is that there has probably been maybe what, 90, 90, again, I'm ballparking it here, 90 to 95% of our service delivery has been around direct instruction. And what we know about coaching is that it works if you do it well. So maybe the whole, um, it should shift and it should be 90 to 95% should be around coaching and five to 10% should be around direct instruction. If you listen to the podcast at all, you've heard me say that over and over again. Um, uh, I can see Lauren Bonnet just put on her camera. So I know she's going to jump in here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, um, Lauren! <laughs> um, and, and I know you were going to talk about uh, early intervention here, right? So um, but, but just, so here's my thought about a strategy for working with parents is that it starts with a personalized conversation about what is, what is your greatest pain point when it comes to language and communication? What would you hope your child could learn to do first? And what would make it better for your entire family? Not just linguistically for your child and not just for you, but just as a greater experience for everybody. What would make your life better? And then that is where you move to teach the language to help solve that problem. Um, and then go through from there. Pick one salient skill. Rachel, I want, sorry. I want to piggyback and then Lauren, you're up. Um, so one thing I ask on my intake form that I think is a really valuable statement is if I could change one thing about my child's communication, it would be dot, dot, dot. And so that gives us insight into like, what is the major pain point? What are the parents' biggest motivations for their, their students' communication? And honestly, you'll be surprised. I'm like, oh, like that? 
And it's not necessarily where I would start as a clinician, knowing as much as I know about language. But again, like Chris mentioned, getting that buy-in, getting that trust, fixing that immediate problem for a family can be a game changer in building rapport. And then we're able to start integrating more of the clinical stuff. Okay, Lauren, you're up. Okay. <laughs> you know, I couldn't resist. This was like the bait. I don't know. Did Sarah plan this or you guys plan this? Um, you know, I think posing questions is so important and, and starting that open-ended question um, is really, really important. But one of the greatest things about COVID is that we have a window into students' lives and clients' lives at home that we never did before. And parents and caregivers and family and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles are now our best partners and they're invested because it's every day, all the time, and they're looking for, um, they're looking for answers and strategies themselves. So um, sometimes you can be a great observer on the camera and see something because families might not recognize that that's even a struggle for them or they might not be um, they might think like their their biggest struggle is something else but then you can say hey how's like that going you know and you can you have this little window but if I have to say what strategies that I use the most I would say um, paraphrasing and pausing are really important um, paraphrasing allows you to say back to the family or um, the caregiver, like this is what you're telling me. And, and this validation helps to build that relationship. So you're almost holding up the mirror for them. Like, is this what you meant to say? You said that, you know, communication is the hardest when your child is having a meltdown or, um, or when they're hungry before dinner time um, or communication is hardest all the time <laughs> um, based on whatever they say. Um, so then you could say, is it all the time? And then they can say, well, actually it's, it's really this. And then you say, oh, so it's really just this. And you're holding up the mirror to help them sort of pinpoint where it is. And then that pause allows them an opportunity to speak. Um, and sometimes we just rapid fire with questions and, and we don't really give them time to process. Um, just like we always say, oh, wait, 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 and then wait a little bit longer and then wait a little bit more and then jump in, right? It's like we have to do the same thing when we're coaching. So um, I think if you're just getting started, yeah, Darla, I see that you put in cognitive coaching. I've taken the um, cognitive coaching course, and honestly, I think it's been life-changing, not just for my work, but all, you know, communication and relationships with everybody. <laughs> um, so if you have to start with one thing, I would start with those active listening strategies, like posing, you know, pose one question and then paraphrase what the person says and hold up that mirror for them and then pause and give them really an opportunity. Look for some of those nonverbals that they may be thinking or still processing and then, and then you can go in. <laughs> Lauren, can I also do just real quickly, can you talk about, um, so I don't know if you remember this, because I've been quoting you since we've had our, our interview, which will be coming out tomorrow, um, but um, about how you were thinking about uh, distance learning and, and this coaching c component, um, or working with families at least, from an early intervention standpoint. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or you're like, no, I don't even remember talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, remind me some more. <laughs> okay, well, when you and I had the conversation, you said there's actually a model for how to how to do it's early intervention. If we were if if yeah. so, I have an early intervention background. Lauren, you have an early intervention background. And what you were saying was, well, okay, in early intervention, what happens is there's a team of people that go into the house, physically go into the house, and they create what's called an an IF. SP. So, um, right, IFSP. It's an yeah. individualized family service plan, or yeah. right? And you come up with goals for the family, but then that's where the coaching is. You, the, the, it isn't as much about direct instruction with the student. Sometimes there is, so, you're, you're, so this family can watch you as you model some sort of specific technique, but mostly it's just what you were all you're talking about. And so if you're looking for like, how are we going to do this distance learning thing when it comes to AAC, you're not really creating something from scratch. These models already exist. Go, go in your neck of the woods, seek out the people that are doing early intervention and be like, how do you do that? You know, what techniques do you use? And you don't have to learn it all. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You can learn from them. Does yeah. that ring any bells? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. I was like, what is he talking about early intervention? Okay, I had just like a brain fart moment. <laughs> but yes, you know, in when I when when COVID first hit and we were like scrambling and had to like pivot over and then everybody's, you know, panicking, like we don't know what to do. I'm like, you guys, we do know what to do. We've been yes. doing early intervention. We have been working with families. We have been coaching them all along. This is just, it's like, um, extra, <laughs> right? It's almost like uh, that much more. And I said, we really do know what to do. And if we look at the early intervention model with an IFSP, we actually have goals for the family. It's not just all for the students mm -hmm. because we know that the family support system is so important and having those resources. So some of the goals, great goals that I've seen on IFSPs might even include like the family will model for the student. So as we were talking about aided language stimulation a little bit in the chat and we, um, Chris and Rachel, you guys had talked about this, that is such a huge, powerful strategy. And, and with this model, we can say, parent, you have, you can change how your student, your student's progress is going or your, your child's progress by doing these strategies. So the IFSP, I feel like is really powerful and looking at that model um, when we are not with the client face to face, right? Because the parent or the caregiver is the interventionist. And we're coaching them to be our hands, to be our mouth, to be our modelers, right? So, and it's just so ironic because we know for emergent communicators, which we, we classify as early intervention, right? Birth to three. Like a lot of our students who are using AAC are emergent communicators the same way that our birth to three populations are. And we know like well-established research about how important coaching is a coaching model is an early intervention. So it's kind of funny that, you know, we're not adopting this more widespread in our field with AAC learners. Um, but yeah, you bring up really excellent points, Lauren. Um, really excited for your podcast to release tomorrow. Um, and also I'm going to shout out Stacey Landsberg. So Stacey Landsberg has been on our podcast. She is very well known in the early intervention coaching sphere. Um, she does a really amazing six hour coaching course. So if you have the opportunity to hear her speak, um, you know, it, it takes work to learn how to effectively coach communication partners um, and coach anyone really. Um, Cause like you said, Lauren, we're busy jumping in a lot and we really need to learn how to hold that mirror up and ask reflective, reflective questions, really listen, be active listeners. Um, 
So anyway, really excellent, really excellent conversation. Um, Chris, should we move on to the next question or does anybody else have any, you know, solutions that they'd like to share? I have two things I want to say, Rachel. First is, let's comment on Barbara's comment. So Barbara wrote, uh, the difficult part is breaking through the expectation that this is a half hour of respite or for respite, meaning that, uh, and I get it, Barbara, right? Like, oh, uh, the, the student's going to be engaged with the screen. So now I can go over and like wash the dishes or get a <laughs> jump on the laundry or maybe even like just turn on a show for a second and relax, right? So um what are some strategies we have for that, for breaking that mindset? Because, and I'll, I'll start by just saying that, yes, that's probably true, but that's a short-term game longer than a, a long-term long building your skills. So what do we think? Kelly says spelling out expectations in the beginning. Yes, completely agree with that. Because a lot of parents don't know what to expect. They expect to just sit their child in front of a screen and that like magic's going to happen on the other end, right? And so I definitely think spelling out the expectations. Um, I'll jump in and add really thinking about all of the communication partners. So yes, maybe parents are very overwhelmed and they need you know, to sit and do the dishes. Um, well, I guess we don't sit when we do the dishes. I was thinking sit and watch TV and doing the dishes. Um, but like, I'm a big fan of bringing siblings into the mix. Um, I've done coaching sessions with grandma virtually. Um, one of the nice things about virtual anything is that we can access so many more people now um, that, you know, interface with the student and we can teach these strategies, not just to the parents who might be very overwhelmed, especially now, um, but bringing in other communication partners that maybe aren't as burnout or overwhelmed who are willing to learn and we can teach.